Christ rose from the dead, trampling over the enemy who has long been at work since the beginning, who we still feel his influence and his temptation and his pull today throughout the week to just give in, to give up, to live your life for this world and for the things that give us temporary pleasure. And what sings through it all and pierces through it all as all of those things leave us totally unsatisfied is this still small voice that reminds us of the gospel and reminds us that Jesus Christ has secured a salvation for his people. And the call, the call to believe is going out into the world and the promise of eternal life, the promise of purpose for life rings for every person. And I sit with my brothers and sisters, stand and sing, and I just feel the weight of life, the pressures of my own heart, my own sin, my own failures, the pressures of the world, losing sight, vision getting foggy of what heaven is and who Jesus is, and I come here before you, and we sing songs and we worship, and all of that goes away. God is so good. And I hope it does the same for you you know and you see the love of God on your life and the victory that is in Jesus. There's coming a day, there's going to be no more heartaches, church, no more tears, no more pain, no more struggles with the body, no more struggles with the mind. Everything's going to be made right through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your constant mercy and goodness and kindness over all of us. I don't know why I never get bored of it. I never get tired of it. I never get used to it. There's plenty of other things in in this planet that I get used to and tired of and bored of, but not of you. And that's because you... You was, you're who we're all looking for. And when the soul meets it and is awakened from death and meets their Savior and their God, that's connected through reconciliation and made a friend to you through your love, through the death of Jesus. It makes sense. This is what we're looking for. Father, if there's someone here today that's struggling with that, still on the, the fence still trying to find hope and pleasure in life that you turn their eyes to the right side and help them to see that Jesus is what they're looking for you'd be kind and you'd draw them and you'd help them through it all I pray it in Jesus name amen oh guys I just gotta I gotta share with you sitting here listening to my seven year old sing these songs just broke my heart And I'm just struggling. How can I start getting in the sermon when I'm just so overwhelmed by hearing my daughter sing to Jesus? And my mind goes, oh, you just wait till you become a teenager. (laughs) And as I laugh, and then as a parent, my heart breaks because I know those years are so tough. And the claws of the enemy are pulling at our children's feet to do anything they can, anything he can, to cause their love and their attention for Jesus to grow cold. 
And it's ironic that I'm thinking that because that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today is the activity of the enemy in the world and what's going on and what's coming in the future. We're done with Blueprint. We got two weeks, two weeks before we go into our Christmas series in December. So what in the world do we want to spend these two weeks talking about? One of the things that was mentioned earlier through some of our meetings was this uh, attention on end times, right? Uh, we're always interested and curious about end times and the apocalypse and things like that, but, but there is a stirring and a wrestling constantly within the world about when is Jesus coming? And I think it's always appropriate to go back and look and remind ourselves of how we should be thinking about the end of the world that's coming and what's going on now and what we should be doing. And so I think it's appropriate, given the instability of the world that we've been experiencing the last two years, to, to take these little pockets of time to remind ourselves about, about Jesus' second coming and what his church should be anticipating. So we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go ahead and turn there, and I want to read the first few verses, and then I want to give you some, some backdrop. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is writing to a church, Thessalonica. This is the second letter that he's written. And he says here in chapter two, starting in verse one, he says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The goal this morning in these next, this morning and tomorrow, next week is this. I'm gonna put it on the screen. Here's the goal. The goal is that we all would remain calm on planet Earth right now, remain calm, and continue living proper and productive lives until Jesus comes. Remain calm and live proper and productive lives as we wait for the coming of our Lord. Okay, okay, Jasper, we're, we're not Thessalonica. We're not struggling thinking that the great day of the Lord has come. Maybe, maybe some of us have. Maybe some of us are, but Thessalonica was struggling with it. Why are we talking about this? Well, let's just be honest. The curiosity, the instability, the wondering what in the world is going on. There he is, Jesus. He's got to be coming back. You're seeing so much instability, so much division, so much evil, so much fighting all over the world right now. We've experienced something that's globally, seemingly climactic through this virus and through what's going on that it has seriously changed the way that we even conduct our everyday lives. And it leaves, especially the church, wondering, okay, God, what are you doing? This is normal. We may not be in the Middle East, in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, in the same culture as them, but we have the same heart that wonders, that is easily alarmed, quickly shaken, and we have the same enemies, enemy whose tactic and whose goal is the same. As it was from the beginning, so it is now. So, here's what we're going to look at today. How can I avoid being a hysterical mess waiting for Jesus? How can I avoid being a hot mess here on planet Earth as I'm waiting for Jesus to return? 
Maybe he will return in my lifetime, or maybe I will die before then and go and meet him. But until then, I'm looking around and I'm seeing plenty of things in my life, in my, my immediate circle, all the way out into the far reaches of the world that I'm able to see through news and through inter- internet, this constant awareness of things that drive me to want to make irrational decisions out of fear and alarm. Let me give you some background to the Thessalonian church, Thessalonica. Paul took several missionary journeys where he would travel and he would go and his goal was to go into places that hadn't known the gospel and he would preach the gospel and he would plant churches. His second missionary journey, he gets up to Macedonia, which is up north. It's kind of a northern part. And he comes through Thessalonica. There is the synagogue. You can read about this in Acts chapter 17. Synagogue where the Jews met. That was always Paul's custom was to go into the synagogue and preach to his brothers and sisters like, hey, you've been studying the scriptures all of this time. We've been waiting on the Messiah. He's come. It's Jesus. He goes to Thessalonica. And as most of the time happens, many believe and become Christians and a church is planted. But also like happens a lot of the times, the remaining uh, pagans and Jews in the area who didn't believe in Jesus started causing problems for the Christians. And so the Thessalonians started suffering persecution. Paul himself experienced just the type of vitriol from the, the, the Thessalon- Thessalonian Jews and people in that area that he was run out of town and hindered from even being able to come back, which is why he wrote the first letter to check on them, the Christians, to see how they're doing because he was worried about them because he knew what they were facing, the type of affliction and persecution that they were facing. And so Paul was worried. He wrote his first letter. Let me, I, want, I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, not the full chapter, but a part that gives you a description, Paul's description of these believers, and it's beautiful. I think it's a great description of what it means to be saved, what it means to come into faith with Jesus. In chapter 1, he says this in verse 8. He's wrote it to him and he says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, he's like, I'm not even there and I'm hearing about the impact you're making. And in Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere. It, it, is, it is obvious and known through, the, through the, uh, uh, the chain of gossip and talk that you believe in Jesus and your faith is strong so that we have need of nothing to say. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you, get this, this is is what they did, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to what? What does that word say there if you're reading? Starts with a W. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who does what? Delivers us from the wrath to come. Now that is a perspective that every believer needs to have. Why am I here on planet earth? The clock is ticking down. I know who I believe. I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, which means I've turned from my idols and my way of life, and I've turned to say I'm following the king And I'm waiting him, waiting for him to turn because this earth is growing evil and more evil and more evil and God will not abide it forever. And his wrath is coming. And the only way I can be delivered from that wrath is to make sure I'm aboard the ark 
before the rains come and destroy the whole earth, which is a type of Jesus. Jesus is the ark. You get on board with Jesus, and he is the one who saves you from the wrath to come. Now, Paul in 1 Thessalonians also wrote to them, and he told them about several things that they were curious with or things that he thought were necessary for baby Christians, brand new Christians to learn. One of them being in chapter four about the dead who had died before him and the Lord. He said, I don't want you to worry about them. They're going actually to meet the Lord before you do. And he talks to them about the rapture and he talks to them about this day of the Lord that's going to come. Day of the Lord means time period, not a 24 hour period, time period where there is gonna be the judgment of God on planet Earth. And it's coming. The book of Revelation talks about it. In Thessalonians, he talks about it again. So he leaves them with these instructions. He tells them, do not believe every prophecy. He says, test everything. And he's leaving these Christians, trying to give them what they need to make sure that they're not ravaged and torn to pieces by all the voices and many different beliefs around them. And so... He writes, but then what happens? He starts to hear things. And only a few months later, few months later, he hears reports of them that not only have they not listened to what he said, but they've gotten worse in listening to other voices around them. They've started to become alarmed thinking that they missed Jesus coming and they got left behind or that somehow they're in the day of the, they're in the tribulation, they're being persecuted every day, afflicted, what makes them think maybe God's forgotten about us, he's left us here, he doesn't care about us. All their circumstances making them think wrongly about the future and about what God thinks of them and about what's going to happen and what's happening to them. So he has to write a second letter, which is 2 Thessalonians, to remind them and correct them. And he's gonna go into detail, not for the first time, but we're gonna see here, he's gonna reveal to them, I'm just reminding you the things that I already told you. How often do we need to be reminded the things that we've already read in scripture all the time? We spend the rest of our life hearing the same things over and over and over. And that's because our hearts are prone to wonder. So, How can we here, thousands of years later, still with the same heart, with the same enemy, may not experience the exact same thing, how can we avoid, like they were, avoid being hysterical messes while waiting on Jesus? One of the ways they were a hysterical mess is that they they were freaking out in their mind, losing rational decisions, but they were quitting their jobs. Quitting their jobs and like there's even no point to wait or to work and then they began becoming busybodies and gossips and, and they started mooching off other people. And Paul writes to them to say, no, you work, you live your life, you live proper, productive lives until Jesus come. Now I'm writing you the second letter to remind you Jesus is gonna come and before a few things happen. So this is what we're gonna look at today. So 2 Thessalonians chapter two, we're in the second letter that Paul writes a couple months later to remind them of the good teachings they need to follow. What is the very first thing that you and I can do to avoid being a hysterical mess? The first thing is this. In our lives, we need to stop giving deception an ear. Deception is all around us. He says this, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him, We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken 
in mind or alarmed. Here's what this is a picture of. This is a picture of like a, like a flower that's being driven by the wind like this all over the place, right? <laughs> Quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, right? That, that's the state of someone who's, who's nervous, timid, fearful, not sure what's going on. Everything, you hear something over here from, you know, from this YouTube video or, or from this news article or from TBN or from this pastor or whatever, and your just mind is constantly pulled. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. That's a pretty miserable state to live in, but I would assume that we're all prone to be there, especially as we see the craziness going on in the world and we know the wrath of God is coming. We want to make sure we get it right but we're in a state of mind that's being so quickly shaken and alarmed, and that's where they were. They were hysterical. And he says, don't, don't be that way. Well, how? Well, he's gonna, he's gonna show us. Don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. And he says this, either by a spirit or spoken word or letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. You see, they didn't have social media, but they still had avenues of voices coming in and trying to tell them and teach them wrong things and wrong doctrines. And then he says this in verse three, right at the very beginning, let no one deceive you in any way. Stop giving deception an ear in your life. Well, well, how, how do I do that? That, that? that means not allowing yourself to live in this gullibility, not allowing yourself to be totally okay with everything and anything you hear about this or about the coming of the Lord, or about the future, or about what's going on in the world today. Because there's a lot of controversy, there's a lot of division, even within the church. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of conspiracy. And the enemy wants to get God's people so messed up and so caught up with the details of conspiracy and controversy and things going on that they, 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 they literally start to live in an irrational way on planet Earth. When Paul and the New Testament is telling us, hey, Jesus is coming again, that's what you're waiting for, and until then, you live those faithful, productive lives where your faith is in him, trusting him, calm until the day he comes. Easier said than done, but when the world starts persecuting you, pressing in on you, you are tempted to believe that God has given up on you. Stop giving deception an ear. I've got three verses there for you. First Thessalonians 5.21 is where he tells them to test everything. Well, how do you test everything? I've given you 2 Timothy 2.15. You know what 2 Timothy 2.15 says? Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have the very thing you need to avoid deception, but requires you having an understanding of it. It requires spiritual growth. This is why this is one of our pillars, and it is why it's God's design and purpose for every Christian is that they grow, not stay a baby, but grow. Which, and how do you grow? You grow in your knowledge and grace of Jesus, as Peter tells us. You have to be in the Word. I can hear the voices now, but it's so hard to understand. Every time I sit down, it's just it's hard to read. I just don't know what I'm doing. Hey, listen. 
I know all those thoughts. I know what it's like to be a 15-year-old kid who knows nothing, but then the, the spirit comes inside of you and moves you to start reading and you start understanding. No excuse. We need to know the word. Deception is going to be, is pressing in against you through every TV show and movie and news article and friends and coworkers and bosses and influences and political parties and whatever else it may be. The enemy's voice is so saturated around us and deception is everywhere. The only way you're gonna live with confidence and not confusion is by knowing this and living according to this, which is why we made a big deal about our foundation is Jesus Christ, the word of God. This is why Paul is having to rewrite them and tell them that doctrine is so important that I had to call, I gotta rewrite you and remind you of the things that I already told you. Look at how it's affecting their life. Look at how what you believe affects your life. You might say, well, I'm not a doctrine person. I'm not this heady doctrine. Doctrine simply just means belief teachings. It's what you believe. And the enemy is very good at putting false doctrine, bad doctrine in our brains. But for some reason, we want to snuff at, we want to kind of snarl and kind of like make excuse for not wanting to get in this. This is what's going to guide our, your word is a lamp to feet and the light to my path. Guys, we need to be in the word. You want to not give deception an ear? Let no one deceive you in any way. Well, then we got to start growing in our understanding for the Lord. Some of you, I'm not going to name names. It's a compliment. But some of you are just like the Berean Christians. Paul went to Berea right after Thessalonica, and he said the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that they heard were true. How about that? And some of you, I've been talking with you, meeting with you on a regular basis, are searching the scriptures daily. You don't just hear something and take it in and swallow it and include it to your life. You say, whoa, 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 wait, I don't know. Let me, let me check and see what the scripture, yes, that's it. And any good pastor is gonna rejoice in that. A bad pastor is gonna tell you, don't you answer against a man of God. A false prophet's gonna make you feel bad for questioning them. Gonna wanna take your money. And there's many false prophets in the world. That's part of it. People trying to pull you away. No, you, you study the word for yourself. You don't have to know Latin. It's not hid behind some kind of priest. You don't have to have some man of God tell you what to believe. You open it up with the inspiration, the illumination of the Holy Spirit, and you begin studying and testing to see if everything that I hear and I believe, is this what the scripture says? And if it doesn't, you change it to match what this says. Because this is truth, and this is the way of life. This is the way of peace. And if there's any of you who, who know what it's like to be duped by false teaching and to live your life into it, you know how, how miserable and infuriating that is and how it does affect your life in a horrible, horrible way. People giving themselves to new age and to the occult all the time, all the time, thinking it's the right way to go. Stop giving deception an ear. You do that by growing in your understanding of the word of God and you test everything by the word of God. Ephesians 4 says this. Now this is where we get our spiritual growth uh, influence from. Paul says this. 
God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, and here it is, here's a picture of what it looks like to be tossed to and fro, quickly shaken in mind. So we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow into every way who is the head into Christ. Paul was very much always concerned about this in the churches, worried that Satan would come in and pull them away. And he actually says it to the Thessalonians. So I wrote to you, I actually sent Timothy to you to make sure, lest, I, lest that what I was afraid of actually happened, that Satan had got to you and tempted you and you'd fallen away. And then Timothy comes back and tells him, no, they're good, man. They're, they're suffering for Jesus and they're, they're hanging tight. But you know, some of them, a lot of them, they're still, wor- they're still missing some doctrine and they're not listening to what you told them earlier. And some of them are quitting their jobs and living in idleness as busybodies. Paul's like, okay, I gotta address that. Stop giving deception in here. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. Now, what's the the next thing that we must do if we want to avoid being a hysterical mess until Jesus comes? Simply this, hold fast to what the Bible says. Jasper, this seems so elementary, Stop listening to deception. Start listening to God. I've heard this 10,000 times. Yeah, but it's the hardest thing to do because your own flesh and your own heart is deceitful and wicked and against you. And it is the simple formula that will be the repeat constantly in your life. And if you're looking for some other answer to try to remove the lack of peace and the hysteria in your life, other than that, you're going to keep looking. Stop listening to deception. Stop giving it air. Start letting it, stop letting it have a foothold in your life and hold fast to the things that you read in Scripture. It doesn't mean you have to know everything. It doesn't mean you have to have everything right, but your heart needs to be devoted to the Scriptures. Praying, looking out, living in, not in a spirit of gullibility, but in a spirit where, okay, I heard that. Let's test that. And Paul is gonna give us an example of what that looks like. He's now, he's told them, don't let this happen to you. Now, I'm gonna bring you the doctrine and the information that you need that will help you be prepared for the end and that will help you live properly now. The good doctrine, the good teaching that you should be aware of. So he's actually gonna go into teaching now. So let's have, a, let's have a class about the end times. He says this, let no one deceive you in any way. And then he says, for that day, verse three, for that day, Remember, not 24-hour day, but that period of time at the end where the wrath of God is coming upon mankind. That day will not come unless something else happens first. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So concerning the coming of the Lord, the first thing Paul wanted the Thessalonians to hold fast to, that we today need to hold fast to, is that the rebellion and the Antichrist 
must first be revealed before the wrath of God comes on the world, before the second coming of Jesus happens. And Paul is telling them that this, this must happen first. So let's talk a little bit about that. That day, the wrath of God that's coming will not come unless, and then he says this, the rebellion, or maybe your scripture says, your translation says the apostasy, unless that comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Let's talk about the man of lawlessness who's talked about in the book of Daniel, who's prophesied in, in Ezekiel, who Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, and now Paul, who is obviously thinking about Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 when he's writing this concerning the end. The man of lawlessness. Jesus also talked about lawlessness, same word, on the earth in Matthew 24, talking about the end that's gonna come and what the days are gonna be like. You know, one of the descriptions that Jesus said is like, hey, as the end is approaching, you're gonna hear wars, rumors of wars, there's gonna be earthquakes, you're gonna have false people rise up and say, I'm the Christ. You're gonna have people say, no, no, he's over there. Look, he's coming here, he's coming then. And what have we seen? Even in our own lifetime, we've experienced throughout the world an experience of people bringing in exactly what Jesus said would happen. Look, there he is, here he comes, now he's coming. There he is, there he is, there he is. And we're told, no. Don't, don't do it. Don't, don't go into the upper rooms, Jesus says. Don't go out into the wilderness. Don't follow those voices. It is the voice of the devil bringing deception. And to do so will be to your peril. It leads to many, many different ways and roads and outcomes, but it does not lead to life and peace and to Jesus. We know that Jesus is coming and God has given us some sure signs to know, hey, we gotta see these things first. Though the son doesn't know, though no angel knows, though we don't know the exact coming of the Lord, we know it's imminent, we know we're waiting on it, and we know from 1 Thessalonians that we're gonna be raptured up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And those who have died before that event happens, promises, they're going to be included. Actually, they're going to go, they're going to precede us. Nothing to worry about. The man of lawlessness, the antichrist. Actually, John says this about the antichrist. He says this, children is the last hour, and as you heard, that antichrist is coming, so now minty antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. And then he describes, they went out from us, but were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain and made clear to all that they were not of us. He uses the description of apostasy. This is the spirit of antichrist. It's the very spirit of Satan himself who says, I'm God, and life is gonna be the way I want it to be. Life is gonna be the way we want it to be, not the way God says, and it's gonna be opposed to Christ. This is the spirit of Antichrist. It, the word apostasy is this great falling away, massive falling away of people. But Paul has in mind when he says the rebellion, the, the, the apostasy, something a little bit more specific, climactic. He speaks as if it's something that we all will see and we all will know. If you read Matthew 24, Jesus talks about something called the abomination of desolation. When the 
man of lawlessness will exalt himself above every so-called God and object of worship. Paul's gonna reiterate this. And he's going to be a very evil person who's gonna do something in the temple of God, wherever that is. The most, the most notable way that we think that's gonna happen is that the temple in Jerusalem is gonna be rebuilt and he's gonna do something in there so it'll be obvious but it could be something else. It could be some, some other temple of God, something that's known in the world as a place of, of, of Christian hierarchy. Something ab- abominable is going to happen there. It's gonna be an event that is going to be obvious. We will know it. And in the description of that time is that the Antichrist is going to bring many people away from Jesus, a great falling away and a great persecution upon the church, global, horrible persecution upon the church. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He calls him the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of a God proclaiming himself to be God. And then Paul says to them, do, do you not remember that when I was with you, I taught you these things? A few months later, Paul writing a second letter to say, you've already forgotten these things. You're, you're living as if these things aren't true and as the other things you've heard are true. No, no, he's writing them, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you of what you need to be anticipating. The man of lawlessness and this great rebellion must come first. Jesus describes this time of the Antichrist who's gonna be worse than Hitler, he's gonna be worse than Stalin, he's gonna be worse than any other person we've ever seen. He is going to have full reign to conduct his evil. And it's gonna be a global, horrible, mass exaltation of lawlessness, which means, the simplest way I can put it, without law or like this, whatever I want. The book of Daniel says that he's gonna change times. It's this idea this guy's gonna have so much power and the world is gonna go after him so much that he's, even, he's gonna change history. I, I think even probably change the way the calendar works because right now our calendar is based off Jesus. Who knows? We know this though, it'll be a global obvious person. And this rebellion, this apostasy, this abomination of desolation is gonna be an event that's obvious that happens. That's why he told the Thessalonians, you don't need to be freaking out and worry that the day has come because that needs to happen first. And Jesus says it's gonna be worse than anything that's ever happened, has happened, or will ever happen. It's gonna be, it's gonna be horrible. Now, let's keep going. Let's see what he says. So the rebellion and the Antichrist must first be revealed. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I taught you these things? And then verse six, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. I so wish that I could have been there with the Thessalonians when Paul taught because I read it. I'm like, Paul, I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't there when you went to Thessalonians and you taught us and you speak so obvious to them. You know, you know what's restraining him who the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist, restraining him from coming now it's not obvious who this restrainer is, so we have to make good interpretations about 
who he's talking about. He says this, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For now, the Holy Spirit is restraining him. That's a good interpretation because there is a great spiritual power at work that is keeping Satan and the man of lawlessness at bay for now until there is time comes. And what do we see throughout history? We see the many antichrists rising up, the little antichrists rising up. We see little pictures and pockets of what it's gonna be like as we look at these horrible leaders throughout history who represent ultimately what he's gonna be like. It's gonna be horrible. You know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Let me read that phrase again so it makes sense. Only he who now restrains it, he, the Holy Spirit, is who I'm in, we're interpreting it to be, who now restrains it, what, the day of the Lord, the man of lawlessness, the rebellion, will do so until he, Holy Spirit, is out of the way, right? God's here, and why is he restraining it? Jesus tells us because the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. Do you know my God's taking so long? I'm like, where are you at? God's giving time for the world to repent. Giving time for the gospel to reach other nations and for the, for the gospel to fill the earth. And there's an implication that the gospel will fill the earth so much that there is this global understanding about who Jesus is and his Christians, so much so that people will know that it's Jesus they're rebelling against and his people that they hate. Right, so what do we see now? We still feel those birth pangs, don't we? It's getting closer every day, but it's not yet. We keep our eyes out looking for the man of lawlessness to come. And until then, we're staying calm, we're waiting. Verse eight, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And we're gonna stop on this verse because it's time to be done. This is a to be continued type sermon, by the way. We're gonna pick it up next week and we're gonna finish it. The Holy Spirit is restraining him now. And then the final thing is this. When he does come, Jesus will kill him anyways. So Paul has wrote to the Thessalonians. He's reminded them of what he's already taught. Stop giving deception in ear. Hold fast to what I've taught you and the traditions of what you've heard, which is what the Bible says, which is what we hold on to. You need to be alert and ready and listening and watching, but it's not come yet. And know this, that when he does come, as horrible as he's gonna be and as scary as it's gonna be, the Lord Jesus is going to turn who he's gonna kill with the breath of his mouth. The lawless one will be revealed when the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. This is something we're gonna talk about next week. Here's where the encouragement and here's where the calmness needs to start come in. If you're on the right side and you're with Jesus, you have nothing to worry about. Now here's what you need to not set your heart on. You need to not set your heart on that God's gonna keep me from affliction and persecution. We're promised that's coming. The Thessalonians were already experiencing that. That's why they were tempted to think that the day of the Lord had already come. We need to expect the world to hate us. We need to expect the world is eventually going to try to kill us 
remove us, do anything they can to us, which is why the message of the New Testament is Christians endure. Love Jesus till the end and endure. Hold on tightly. We have this great seemingly pocket of peace in our land in this time. And we've been born during this time where it seems like we just don't have that persecution. But can't you see it coming though? Can't you see the mystery of lawlessness at work as Satan is brewing against the church of God? Don't set your heart on avoiding affliction and persecution. Set your heart on who you're following because the world's gonna follow the lawless one and he's gonna be killed with the breath of the mouth of Jesus. And as we're gonna see next week, all those who follow him, who oppose Jesus are gonna be destroyed with him. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, God, you, <laughs> my throat's already hurting from so, so many words. It's dry and there's so much more I wanna say. So much that we need to know, so much that you're trying to communicate to us about remaining fast to the end, staying calm. I pray that you would work in our hearts to help us to see the peace and the wonder and the calmness that comes with being with you. That you have us, you are the keeper of Israel. You will keep us fast to the end. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to not become hysterical in mind, listening to all the voices around us, but center in our focus and our attention on your word and what you're teaching us. And your word will be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Let us be those people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.